Hello, I'm very excited to have the lovely Luca with me. Hi Luca, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, thanks very much for having me. I'm uh, Luca Vesti. I'm a crime writer from Liverpool, uh, the author of eight novels, um, the latest being You Never Said Goodbye. Uh, I did four books in the Murphy and Rossi series before writing a bunch of standalones. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? Not at all. So I grew up uh, and pretty much still live next to it. Uh, a council estate um, in Merseyside, various council estates in, in Merseyside. Um, and I was always quite lucky in that we had really good local libraries. So I was a voracious reader as a kid because it was like the only form of entertainment, basically, because we had one of those tellies where you had to put a pound in and you got like eight hours. And um, like my dad would like go, all the kids are going to bed at like eight, nine o'clock. So I need at least four of them <laughs> to myself. <laughs> so during the day, we were kind of left to our own devices. And I discovered the library. So I was a, a massive reader um, as a kid. So I went through, like, you know, the Enid Blyton and, you know, the usual stuff as, as you read them a kid. Even the Mallory Tower series, you know, like, I I loved those. I didn't know what a boarding school was, but um, it, it sounded like, a, it sounded amazing to me that you had, like, midnight feasts and things like that. That was, that, that just, I was like, food at, eight, at 12 o'clock midnight that's brilliant um but when i got to about 14 i, I stopped reading um I, I, and found other stuff I, I want to be a footballer i want to be a boxer i want to be an actor i want to be a singer i want to be a guitarist i want to be in bands and i tried all of those things failed miserably at all of them um and just fell into work in my 20s i had two kids got married um and someone gave me um mark billingham's first book sleepy head i said you'll like that that's quite dark you'll like that and i was like oh right okay so i started reading that and i was like oh you know i remember i remember this feeling of like losing yourself in in another world um but it wasn't until i was like late 20s i got made redundant and went to university and from where i come from it's like that was like ridiculous we didn't go to university we barely went to school, never mind university. Um, and I started uh, conversing with writers over social media. I'd read their books and I'd find them on, on social media. And I wanted to kind of give something back. So I started um, reviewing books online. And this is in like 2010, 2011, when, you know, there was not that many blogs around. Now there's hundreds of them. But back then there wasn't that many. So I was very early on in, in that, that, that kind of explosion of, of blogs and things like that, where I would review books. And I still, at that point, never had any intention of writing. Um, I thought that's what other people did, you know, and we weren't allowed to do that. Um, so I got into a late night conversation with a writer called Charlie Williams. And it was like a jokey conversation about vampires of all things. Where he, I was saying, like you know, you you know, you all these vampires that are in fiction, they're always like nicely dressed and and all suave and and all that type of thing. You never hear about Jeff, the uninspired vampire who doesn't want to do anything, just wants to watch Jeremy Kyle or Mari Povich and and all that. And Charlie went, "You should write that." And a drink had been taken, and I woke up the next morning to a message from Charlie saying, "What's this, mate?" And what I'd done at three o'clock in the morning had was written a, a six hundred word short story about Jeff the Uninspired Vampire. So I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I've done this!" 
So I was like, I'm really sorry. And he was like, no, no, it's fine. It's funny. It's it's like, you know, what else What else have you been writing in that? And I was like, I haven't written anything. I won't do it again. <laughs> you know? like, he's like, no, 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 you should do this. You should write this. You've got something there. You've got a, a storytelling ability. So I wrote, I, I did. I went, okay. So I wrote a few more short stories. Um, and then like after I'd done a, a, you know, a fair few, I, uh, I thought, well, the next thing is to do is to write a novel. And this is during my first year of being a student, 28 years old. Uh, mature students, all all every other students like ten years younger than you, and you're like, you know, you've got two kids, and like, you know, and it's like, oh well, I'm not going out every night with all the other students, so I had a lot of time in my hands. <laughs> so I started writing a novel, and um, it got uh, it got me an agent, and then I got a publishing deal. This is all within the space of like a year, fourteen months. Um, so the the first novel, Dead Gone, came out in my my second year at university um and yeah it's been full-time ever since then what did you study at uni criminology and psychology uh. i had all these ideas these these like these these plans to become a forensic psychologist um you know i was going to work in the prison service and and you know with criminals and all that type of thing and that kind of fell apart like everything else i tried to do except for writing <laughs> Which Did you finish it though? The one thing I was supposed to do was the, the only thing that's kind of lasted. Because um, I, I had a, a huge range of jobs growing up and I kind of fell into the civil service and did that for six years. But once I was made redundant, my wife was like, listen, you, you should have gone to university when you were younger. Um, you know, you should have been pushed to do it. Try it, just try it. So I did an access course and um, I did that for a year. Um, and was actually really good. I, I, I didn't realise, like, you know, I could actually do that kind of thing. Um, but writing essays and all that type of thing kind of was, and it was like, you know, the basis of me becoming a writer is that I kind of found a love of words during that, of actually writing them down. Um, and it all stems back from those libraries on the council estates of my youth of like just reading everything I could get hold of. Um, and having really good librarians who didn't, who turned a blind eye to, 10 year old Luca going and finding Stephen King books and taking them out. Um, you know, they, they, they were much more happy that I was taking the books out rather than smashing windows to get into the library, I think was, was the thing. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really interesting ride, um, to becoming a full-time writer, but yeah, I, I couldn't think of anything doing anything else now. Did you finish your degree? Yeah, so yeah, I didn't do very well because uh, by the third year, <laughs> like, I was a published writer. I signed uh, a new contract in, on like the week before my last two exams, which I knew would mean that 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 will be it. Then that I'll be a writer forever. So I didn't really try because I was like, well, I'm not going to become a, a psychologist or anything like that. Probably should have done as a backup option, <laughs> but I was like, nah. But um, it it's yeah, it, it's. It's given me a great like standing of like you know a, a great basis to, to work from writing crime especially of like you know having studied that for three years, but I'm much happier being a writer than dealing with criminals every day, for example, like you know, or having to listen to other people's problems. Now I just create them and and make them up <laughs> myself and have to deal with them with with made up people. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, your story kind of mine mirrors yours a little bit I um worked at a job for 14 years and then got fired 
and I always swore that when I left that job in whatever form I would go back to uni but I was in my mid-30s and I studied forensic science wow. yeah and I've literally just passed in the last two weeks um and then when I was doing my dissertation well actually I think in my second year I started blogging and reviewing books and then when I was supposed to be writing my dissertation I wrote a short um like novella horror like the old point horror books oh, so yeah. Oh, that, that's one of my favourite things with Point Horror, the R.L. Stein kind of thing. I've still got one of them that I, I had as a child. Is it near me? No, it's not. Well, that's a shame. But it, it was like my favourite thing. It was like a collection of short stories of like, and then Christopher Pike, was it? Christopher Pike. Um, and yeah, I, I love those books. I love the Point Horror stuff. Uh, and I think that was the gateway. That was like my little... But didn't go straight from Ian Blyton to Stephen King. I think that would have been too much of a jump. But I think I went from Ian Blyton to Point Horror to Stephen King in a very short space of time. Um, and that's why, like, I mean, like that horror was my like my first love. Like you know, as a, as a kid, and and like I remember when I got that Mark Billingham book given to me. In the same week, my auntie gave me a big box of Stephen King books, which are still up, up there. There's loads of them up there. Um, and uh, and it was like you know a, a real rekindling of like love. And it, it was always it was a, it was a decision I had to make very early on whether I was going to write crime or write horror. And it, I think it was just the books that I was reading at that point. I was reading every kind of crime novel I could get my hands on because I'd read so much horror when I was younger. And um, this was like well this is a new thing, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read all of these. And I ended up writing crime, but like with the Bonekeeper, for example, which is a very much a crime horror crossover. Um, that was my fifth book. Um, that's probably about as close as I'll get to writing a horror novel for a, for a while. But it was a lot of fun doing. Um, is that like kind of you know what goes bump in the night type of feeling? It's it's like you know, is this real? Is this is this not? You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, I love that. Yeah, but yeah, points horror. That's that's a blast from the past. <laughs> yeah, I tried to get some um, because I thought I'd try and read them again to try and write something like it, and they're really expensive. Yeah, yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've got this one book that I kept from from because I had very very few books when I was a kid, because um, you know they were free from the library, so it was like you know I didn't have to have, actually have any. So I've got, I kept that, and I've got a, a couple of famous five books, and that's about it. From like, and it, so when I was 24 25 there was about three books in the house now i've got thousands because that's where i spent all my money basically as an adult <laughs> that and sweets and <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a favorite super kid book uh, the stand it's the, the the stand is my favorite novel of all time i read that when i was 11 and could not basically what happened was is there was very few books in the house, but my dad did have the complete and uncut version of The Stand from 1991, uh, which is there, that, that book there. Um, and it was in me, in me where, where my dad sat, it was like a little um, little side table next to him, and it was, it was lived underneath that, this big, massive book. So I read everything I could get my hands on, and I wanted to read that book. So at nine years of age, I'm saying to my dad, I want to read that book. And he's like, no, no, you can't read that book. You know, he's worried about social services knocking on the door. Like, um, so I made it like my goal. And then one day he just 
he just I don't think he was listening properly and I just went I want to read that book down and he was like yeah go on then and, and I just took it upstairs and honestly that's like God, nearly 30 years ago now and no novel has ever ever matched the experience I had reading that book for the first time um, where I just realised what fiction could do you know what 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 a story could do to someone when they're reading it just on their own um and i reread it again about a year and a half ago because every few years i'll read it again same feeling same feeling every character leaps off the page every moment is just like even though you know what's going to happen you're still like kind of holding your breath um so it, it it's probably not the the greatest book anyone will ever put on their list you know it's not like gonna ever win like like that kind of like list but for me it, i think every book is an experience for the reader and i don't think anyone can ever kind of you know replace that by by just saying well this is actually the greatest book that's ever been written this is the greatest writing you'll ever read this is the best writing the most technically best writing this is, it doesn't matter if it doesn't drive with the reader it's still not going to give you that experience that you have um on your own just sitting there reading because it's a very solitary activity um and yet the stand is my favorite novel of all time because of that yeah um 11 22 63 beats it for me i love that book so much yeah, so that's a good one like, i mean that, i think that was like because that came out what well, god that must have been like really 10 years ago now 11, must be yeah it must be something like that and i think because i've read i read it's still a one of the very few authors I will buy and release day and read that day. Um, and that felt like a real, this, that's all, oh, that's another stand. You know, it was like, so it's very much up there for me, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, I even read the that cell book that he did, which was just weird <laughs> and still loved it. So I do love pretty much everything he writes. Um, yeah, he is like, you know, just on, on, a, on a shelf on his own. I mean, like, you know, like these are all in alphabetical order except for Stephen King, who gets his own shelf. <laughs> I think I've got, up until a point, I've got all of his books, and I think I've got three shelves that are double-layered because he's got so many. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it is amazing when you think, it's, it must be closing in on 50 years now since Carrie was published. Uh, the amount of words that he's written, it's like, it is, when you look at it as a writer, you think, like, that's, what the goal is but it's also really intimidating of like that many stories he's had that many stories and that many ideas and that that can be intimidating i take it as a challenge as to okay i need to come up with that many ideas i need to do that as well i need to to have that kind of length because uh luca's got rent to pay so he has to you know he has to make sure that he does you know have that many <laughs> and did you see him at bloody scotland now, um, I think, um, what were we doing at that point? I think we were doing something, the, the band was doing something or, or other. I can't remember why, why we missed it, but I have seen him talk every, uh, every uh, as, if he's talking, I'm, I'm listening. So I watched it just after that happened. I watched it. I, I yeah, watched and it. the fact that he says every time, even now that he's sends a book to his editor, he thinks he's going to come back and say, what is this shit? Yeah. What, have, what have you given me? I'm like, what? Oh my God, I sat there and I was just gobsmacked. It was unbelievable. That was one of the biggest surprises for me as a writer. So there was, you know, there's the, when I was getting back into reading in my 20s, um, I read like 
Mark Billingham and what read Ian Rankin and went fr- throughout this whole series. Val McDermott went throughout the whole series, um, and I, and I, and for all of these 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 amazing novelists, then later became friends with them. And I always thought that like these people were very relaxed about it all, and it's like yes, uh, I'll take a couple of months and I'll write the next bestseller, and and you know everything is fine. But you actually talk to them, and they all feel exactly the same way. The best ones do anyway. Is that they all have this the fear. Which is inherent. Is it's it's in in every writer that wants to push themselves. Of this next book might be my last, and I'm, and so I need to make it better than the one I just wrote. Um, and like that is kind of the driving force for me with every book. Still, is that I'm still waiting for that tap on the shoulder where they go like, "Sorry, we made a mistake." We we you know like we we didn't realize we you know <laughs> we're doing this. Um, so like that's that's it. But that I remember like having a conversation with Val where it's like you know when does it get easier, Val? And she went, "If you're lucky, it never does," because it's that's what makes us. That's what makes you get out of bed and do the work and and write the best book possible. Um, and you may not always do that, but at least you're trying with everyone. And that's why it makes sense to me that like Val is like I think thirty odd years now being a writer. Writes 1979 last year, which was one of the, my favorite books of last year by by a distance. It was it was incredible, and it's because she still has that love and that drive and that fear to keep going and writing the best books she can. Yeah, I've tried to speak to her twice at festivals, and she's blanked me twice. <laughs> <laughs> that's surprising, that because Val is actually one of the nicest people I've ever met. In. I know that's what I've heard, but yeah. twice, so I'm like. I won't give up. I will, I will, I will try to speak to her. You know, I say, this is Donna, and she's a lovely person, and you've got to speak to her, and she goes, okay, no problem, son. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so your book, um, if you were to take out one of your characters for a meal, who would you choose, and what would you ask them? Oh, it's difficult, because <laughs> most of the characters that are in my books are pretty much based on people I know or have experienced. So it would have to be someone who I didn't usually see. Um, so like in You Never Say Goodbye, for instance, the main character is 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 very much based on personal experience. And so it's, it's a lot of me in, in him. Um, so I think, thinking about, I think it would have to go, I'd have to go with a serial killer. And I think it would have to go with Alan Bimson from The Dying Place. Because he's an amalgamation of of a couple of people that I know, but turned up to the extreme. Um, the dying place um, was based on an idea, this based on a conversation I've been having with my dad for thirty years, um, where he's very much like you know a nice person, but he has this very extreme view when it comes to um, basically teenagers who are tearaways. So he, I, I remember just before I was writing that book, um, he had some issues with some kids around the corner. And he said, I'll tell you what, Luca, what we need to do is we need to get in a van, all the old school lads, like meaning like 50-year-old men, and, um, and get in the van, pick them all up, beat them up, and put them back on the streets. And I was like, I don't think that would work, though, Dad. And he's like, no, they'd never do anything again. And I was like, don't, I honestly don't think that would work. And we've been having the same argument for 30 years. And I ended up writing that story about that that idea of like a guy who gets like-minded individuals to pick up young men who are getting into trouble, 
and inflicting violence on them and hoping that would stop them inflicting violence on other people. And, and, and uh, you know, like, and there's still some people, like a lot of people who read that book who, who disagreed with the conclusions or how far they would go. A lot of people who, who agreed with the actions of the antagonist and the and, and like the, and who were like, this is great, this is about, it's about time. Someone wrote exactly what we should do. And I'm like, oh God, I've written a manifesto. What have I done? <laughs> but the character in that, Alan Bimson character in that is, um, is, is interesting just psychologically just to, to, to talk to that kind of person of just like, what, what, what drives you to want to do this? Why, why aren't you happy just having a, having a, a life where you're not bothered by what other people do? Um, you're not in, influenced by the actions of others, even if they're bad, you know, even if they're, 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 they're not good actions, is that you feel strongly enough about this that you want to do something about it, but why does it have to be what they're doing? Why is it just matching what they're doing? So someone like that probably would be um, who I'd, I'd, I'd like to... But I, and I think that would be one of the last is like, why? <laughs> you know, why? But it's yeah. difficult to answer because as much as as much as I, I, I remember certain aspects of a lot of books, once I've written a book, it's kind of I have to kind of leave it to one side when I'm writing the next one. So I tend to forget, which is always difficult when I'm doing events and stuff like that, promoting new books, because I have to go back and remember what what those books were about because I, it's been a year since I've looked at them. So, yeah, so I finished, thankfully, you never said goodbye. I only finished five months ago, so it's still quite fresh. Um, but, like, there has been times where I think um, I think it was the six, which was, uh, funnily enough, the sixth book. Um, I'd written that book, and then two years passed before I was talking about it. I had absolutely no idea what it was about. I couldn't remember. I just, I had to go back and read it, which is an experience for a writer to read stuff two years later. You go, oh, no, I need to change. Is it too late to go down? <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, so I forget like certain character names and things like that. Um, so like, yeah, usually like people would like, I would like to take my main character, my main, you know, my, uh, my detective out for the meal and asked him like what what drives you and all that but I had, I, I'm not in, I'm more, much more interested and I think this is why I studied psychology and things like that. I'm much more interested in the the, the 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 characters who you you don't always know a lot about by the end of book four you kind of know what Murphy and Rossi are about so who they are who you know what they're like as people whereas they they're, they're antagonists of those books there's still things that you need to find out about them. And that's where I find most interest. Do you hide secret jokes or messages or Easter eggs in your books? Yes, yes. all the time. Um, <laughs> so I will, I will use, I have to be very careful here because legally you're not supposed to do this, but I will use um, certain kinds of lyrics and songs i listen to music when i'm writing um and i have like a playlist of like 500 songs and they, they range from uh pink floyd to stormzy it's very eclectic um and i will hear a lyric and i'll i'll go well, it'll be funny to put that in there and, and then i just rewrite it a little bit so then i don't have to you know get a clearance so there'll be things like that 
there's also silly things that only make sense to like my wife who doesn't read my books because she's not a crime fan at all. She's much more a fan of romance novels and history. That's what her did. But so I will write things that if at any point she reads them in the future, she'll go, Oh my god, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> so it'll be things like um if if a character's having a drink, invariably it'd be because it'll be a drink that someone I know has. Um and that's down to like the brand name type of thing and all that. If they are ordering a takeaway, they'll order something that someone I know orders, you know, every time. If they're talking about a show on television, I will mirror their opinion on from someone I know. But it's down to even little things. So in my first novel, uh, we had a big group, group of friends and Guy and Carla were together and Andy and Amy were together in, in real life. In my book, Andy and Carla were together. And I thought that'd be hilarious because the idea of them two being together in real life is is ridiculous. But in my book, it'd be it'd be hilarious. <laughs> so like I, that's the kind of thing that I do. I just I use character names and and things like that. But I also I mean I do loads of stuff because you have to keep it interesting because it's when you sit down at the beginning of every morning and you just got a blank page, you got to do something to get you through the day. <laughs> so like I've done like Alan Bimson, for example, the character I was mentioning earlier. My dad's called Alan. And his best mate, who was very much on the same page as him with the big van and the, the getting all the lads and throwing them in the back of the, the van, his, his best mate was called Phil Bimson. So that became Alan Bimson. So they would love that. They thought it was great. They, you know, they thought that, you know, they would, that was it for them. Um, uh, I've, I've run out of names basically now. I've used everyone. So now there's, there's, much, there's far fewer now being used. Uh, but like I, I used a nephew's name in the last book. Um, I've used like all my, I'm one of nine kids. All of their names, all my brothers and sisters, all of their names have been used in the past. Um, the only people who I don't use are my wife and my kids' names because invariably something bad happens to characters in my book. I can't do that to my wife and kids. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just hope that they don't piss you off one day, and you're like. <laughs> that's said to me quite a lot is like you know like oh you'll be able to use this for the book it's like a lot of the time it's like just for certain instances it's like well how am i going to shoehorn that into a, into a novel about about all the about a serial killer or like you know it's just like someone getting cut off on the motorway how am i supposed to use that it's like we were coming out we were we were driving uh, a few a couple of months back uh and we were on scotty scotland road in liverpool and there was a car that kind of like moved up around couldn't get couldn't get in um to a one lane thing so it was two lanes moving into one lane he was trying to get past and this guy wouldn't let him in so he pulls in behind him we get to some traffic lights and this guy bounces out the, the car and starts shouting at the uh, shouting at the, the driver for his own fault like it was his own fault he was trying to force his way in but no 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 in his head he was in the right starts screaming at the, the, the driver who pulled around pulled pulled off basically and just went and we were telling the story to someone and they were like ah that'll be in luca's book next year i was like how am i gonna what am I, what's the it's like, like how am i gonna get that into a book where it's like so like that was when i was writing you never said goodbye and i was like how am i supposed to shoot that whole that into a, a book about you know a, a guy who's trying to find the truth about his mother dying it's like you know it's, it's just it would just be a really random event um but saying that 
there's tons of things that I have used from real life. You know, it's like, you know, it's, but it's usually like not the, not the things that you would imagine. It's not those things that like, you know, like, oh, you know, you know, like that kind of, you know, confrontation or anything like that. It's usually just even minor things. Like I used to spend an enormous amount, this is before COVID. I used to spend a lot of time going around on buses in Liverpool and just listening to people talking. Uh, and just getting the rhythms of the conversations and things that people will talk about. And then I would just throw little snippets in here and there. When I went to America to research, you never said goodbye. I literally sat in diners and would write down everything people were saying on the table behind me. Um, and wouldn't use what they were saying more than it was just how they would say, you know, and how I would, my observations of how they talk to each other and things like that. So yeah, there's not, it's not, it's not always like, oh, you'll use that in the book. It doesn't always say an hour, but it might, <laughs> which makes it a little bit more difficult at like Christmas and Christmas dinner, like where it's like, you know, don't you, I'm telling you a story, don't use this in a book. It's like usually. <laughs> Get your secret notepad out underneath. <laughs> and if you were to kill someone, fictionally or hypothetically, I guess, as you, not as a writer, how would you do it? Um, it's incredibly difficult now to kill someone without being found out. It's why we have far fewer serial killers than we used to, I think, is that I know, I remember writing my first novel and thinking, right, it's perfect. This this place where he's placed this body is perfect. It's on the Albert Dock. There's no cameras. Everything's fine. He's never going to be seen. And six months later, the week before the book comes out, just happened to be down at the Albert Dock, and I looked up, and there was a camera there. I was like, oh, for God's sake. So, like, you know, it's very difficult to kill someone without being found, which is something that would be, you know, highly motivating for me is to not be caught. That that would be the reason when I would do it. So I've honestly never thought about how I would kill someone because I've never... I've never had the I've never thought about like the I've always thought about those the consequences if I lost my temper. That's what it would be. It's like and I don't I'm quite easy going, um, but I'm quite quick tempered as well. So like if if I, I I had to change my entire makeup when I got when I when I had children because I remember one time just walking through a shopping centre um and someone dropped I was I had a football in a bag. And I was shifting the bags or something, and the ball fell out, and some guy nearly tripped over it, and he swore at me, and I saw red for no reason. I mean, like it's just one of those things where it's just like, oh, sorry, mate, that would saw red, and it's like that. You can't get into those situations when you're like you've got kids and stuff like that, especially the with you. <laughs> so like, I've I've kind of like tempered down, so all of my kind of killer killer instincts go into the books. Um, so I don't ever think about like how I kill someone. I quite like the the whole um, stabbing someone with an icicle because then it's like you know it it, it melts and the the murder weapon's gone. But I think if it was if it, if I actually was to do it, it'd be something where I've just lost my temper uh, at some guy in a, in a, in 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 middle of town, <laughs> just repeatedly going, "You will listen to it. Oh God, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone." <laughs> Yeah, so I don't, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because we, you know, crime writers especially, we write about killing people constantly. We're also the nicest people you probably ever meet because we do get 
everything else on the page. All our darkness is on those pages. Everything you want to know about us is in those books. It's like, you know, that's that's the things they think about at late at night. Um, so you meet us at festivals and things like that, and we're all like, hello, you're right. <laughs> Romance writers and they are dark. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> They're all getting a nice, happy life out on the pages, and then it's like, but I really am this, you know? No, that's not true. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so it's very difficult to imagine where I would be in in a situation where I would even have to worry about that kind of thing. I've not been in a fight for years. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny though because pretty much every crime writer I know doesn't have to think about it for long. They're like, "Oh yeah, I'll do that." <laughs> All right. <laughs> See, these people are these people are, are are much much more on the edge than I am. I'm quite relaxed because I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't I shouldn't be doing this because, like you know, like everyone I grew up with, all my mates from from school are either unemployed, in prison, or or doing work that they don't get paid properly for like you know it's like that kind of thing this shouldn't be happening so i'm incredibly relaxed because i'm like you know if this all ends tomorrow then then like you know god at least i got 10 years out of it you know it, it, I, I want 10 more and 10 more after that that's the fear that keeps me going to the the, the computer every day to, to write the next book but i'm very relaxed about my like my life you know like 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 you know like like this is incredible to me this is ridiculous i grew up thinking that writers all lived in castles and they were all very posh and it just turned out that everyone who worked in publishing was posh and not the writers themselves <laughs> but to yeah. be honest to me anyone who, who doesn't sound like me sounds posh so it's great <laughs> anyone who, who has an, anyone who has their own house is posh anyone who like you know speaks properly out of their posh it's ridiculous um but like yeah it's it's a it's yeah it's it's not something i ever think about now it's great not worrying about it like i you know like i, I boxed for years I, I that that was a violent thing to be involved in but it was all controlled uh, i got into massive trouble when i was a kid but it, it, it's all it's all like it's like someone else it's like someone else did that this is a different person but uh, to answer your question, um, I wouldn't kill once. I'd kill many, many times until they caught me. <laughs> if someone asked me this question, and I'm the same, I'm very placid, except for at work. Um, I work in retail, so, you know, people are dicks, especially yeah. in retail. And uh, that makes me see red frequently. But um, I, uh, I said I'd stab someone a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> Don't really know where that came from. Just think- came out. I think I'd be quite hands-on. I think it would be quite hands-on. I think I'd, I'd have someone in a headlock and and 20 minutes later, someone would be saying, I think you can let go now. Uh, it'd be one of those where it's just like, oh God, if, it's, if that happened, I think that's probably what would happen. But it's not going to. So uh, just in case anyone's watching this. <laughs> yeah. 20 years time and someone's been killed. Didn't that guy say that he was going <laughs> to... Um, and if you were hypothetically murdered, who would you want to solve your case? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I think I think I'd go with Columbo because uh, do you know what? It was on Channel Five the other day. There was like a whole day of Columbo, 
that guy is ridiculous. <laughs> if you if you something happened, there was one. There's one as from like I think it was one of the reboot ones where they came back in like the nineties and it was all weird. Um, and it was one where this guy had been had been he'd won the lottery, and um, and then his uncle he'd said to his uncle he was going through a divorce and he said to his uncle, "Can you claim the 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 money for me? Because if I claim it, my wife my my soon to be ex wife will get half." And the uncle, it turned out, was not a nice guy, and he killed him, but made it look like an accident. So for all intents and purposes, it was incredibly well done. Rip Torn was the killer. Um, and it was incredibly well done. It was all, and I was like, there's no way that anyone could even believe that that wasn't an accident. And Columbo comes in and goes, just one more thing, you know. Just, and I was like, how does he even know that that's not an accident? I just thought, you just must go to every death and just go like, might be not be an accident this and it's like literally like you can we got on camera and he's like oh you don't know <laughs> so Columbo is like one of my favorite detective creations of all time failing that it would be you know it would be a rebus or someone like that who if you can get him out the pub long enough to 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 solve the crime he invariably does yeah um what's what was your favorite first when as an author I think it was the first time I saw my book on the shelf of the Asda where I go to shop. So, and that happened like the with Dead Gone. That was like it was about it was about a year after I signed the deal, um, and until that point, it wasn't really real until. And then the the ebook came out weirdly like a month before the the book came out. It still wasn't real. Um, and it wasn't until I just and I didn't even think about it because what happened was is like the book came out and it was it was in my local Asda, but it turned out that's the same place that all my family shop as well. So they bought all the books, so I didn't see it. So for two, <laughs> it wasn't on the shelves because it kept getting bought. And I just happened to be walking down the book aisle doing the weekly shop, and I looked over and there was my book, and it was kind of like a oh oh sh- oh shit. That, that's me that's me so probably that either that or or the very first events i did in waterstones in, in in liverpool um because there was a hundred people in there and i think i was related to about 60 percent of them um and they were all sat there going like this is ridiculous we're never they're never going to read the book they're not readers but i've got a couple who actually turned into readers but they were just happy they were just happy that one of us had done something because we've we've been a family who, who were incredibly close um, and have been incredibly unlucky over the years as well of like, you know, nearly, we've nearly done that. We've nearly done this. And one of us did something. So it wasn't just for me. That was for all of us. That was, that was like, and I said that on that night, I said like this, this is all of our, this is all of our like success. This is for all of us because our name didn't exist in this country until like 1960 you know it's it, it, it we weren't here and now we are and and look where we've come in like 50 years um and yeah that was amazing there's loads though there's loads the first the first huge train poster i got which was in liverpool Line street station and the first time i saw it i was coming back from doing an event somewhere i think it was in i was in glasgow or something like that and I get into Lime Street and it's 20 past 11 and there's no one there. 
and I look up and, and a big poster for the Bonekeeper is on the thing. And I just could have stood looking at it for like 10 minutes going like, this ain't real, this ain't real. We went back the next day with my wife and two kids and there's a selfie of us standing with it in the background and stuff like that. But I think that was like five bucks in and I think that's when the kids realised that like, oh God, he, you know, he isn't just going in and locking himself in a room and just like talking to himself. Yes, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's I. I still get excited about everything, though. I get excited about doing anything, like you know, any events. So, like you know, even just doing this is great for me. I love it. I love doing anything like like where it's. It makes it real. Um, because it it's an incredibly solitary lifestyle to choose as a writer, um. And I'm quite outgoing and I'm a show off. I like showing off. So for the last 10 years, I chose a profession where you don't do that for 90% of the time, you know, but it is a performance of sorts writing a book. You, you, you kind of just go and, you know, like I think I'm more, I'm interesting enough for you to, to stick with me for 400 years when you live 400, 400 pages to, um, to listen to what I've got to say, which is quite, you know, arrogant when you think about it. You've got to have that kind of thing within yourself where it's like, you know, you are showing off a bit. You are like, you know, gather around, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, it's it's a confidence that you have to have um, within you. But what I've learned is that a lot of writers are quite, you know, shy. Um, and, and they come out of their shells quite a lot when you stick them in front of an audience. The quietest writers I've ever met are also usually the best talking to an audience because they've got interesting things to say because they haven't been listened to for a long time. Um, and they've got really interesting things to say. And I love that. I love anything like that. Whereas me, I just go on stage, just tell jokes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it probably leads quite nicely to the fun life and crime writers. How did that come about? <laughs> it's still the most ridiculous thing ever. So as I said earlier, I was a failed musician. It was one of those things where it's like, I wanted to be a footballer growing up, but so did every other lad in my area. And none of us made it. Um, I think the highest level any of us ever got to was like, I think semi-pro in like the 10th tier. Um, and even that, they were a sub. But um, the uh, so I failed that. I wanted to be a boxer, failed at that because I just didn't take it seriously enough really. Um, the the level of, of of dedication you have to put into that sport is just unreal. Um, so it didn't uh, I wasn't good enough for that. Um, and then I wanted to be an actor, um, but didn't get anywhere doing that. Um, because it's again it's another tough in every industry I try to do is it seems to be really difficult. <laughs> so I was a musician and I and I had bands. I was in bands for for years. I did the pub circuit where I would just go out on my own. And, and and do do like acoustic sets and stuff like that and then i kind of stopped when i when i started writing i hadn't i think i did my last gig in a pub when i was about 26 27. i paid 50 quid to sing you know for three hours with a guitar um to an audience of like six people and it's just it's just heartbreaking you just go i can't be doing this anymore i don't want to do this anymore um so i stopped um i saw uh, I think they were they were in a house of blues in New Orleans. Mark Billingham, Stuart Neville, and Doug Johnson got up 
and did a set there. I knew that Stuart had uh, was a guitarist, and he, and he knew he was a very good guitarist. I didn't know about Mark. I knew Mark liked country music, and that was about it. I had no idea about Doug playing playing any instrument. Um, but I watched that, and I was like, yeah, that's good. And as luck would have it, a couple of months later, I was doing an event with Mark in, in, in Warstones in Liverpool. And uh, after the, the event, we were stood in the pub, and he says to me, um, can you play bass or drums? And I thought very quickly. And I've always been told that if someone asks you a question, you should always say yes. If they ask you if you can do something, you should say yes, because you never know what might happen. He said, you can always back out later. So I thought very quickly and I thought, well, I can't play drums. And I've never played bass. Bass is a kind of a guitar and I play guitar, so I'll just say bass. So I said, yeah, I can play bass. And he was like, that's good because we've been asked to play Edinburgh Book Festival next year. And I was like, who's been asked? And he was like, well, the, the Stuart's and Doug who've got out with me at, at, at New Orleans at uh, Bauschikon. Um, and we're going to do like an author band and all this sort of thing. And, I, and I, we need a bass player and a drummer. And I was like, okay, I'll play bass. I don't, I have no problem at all. Didn't think anything would come of it. Four months later, I got an email where it's like, yeah, we're doing it and we're doing, and like we've got, uh, Val McDermott is going to be the singer and Chris Brookmeyer is going to come in and do a couple of songs. Uh, she was going to play guitar. Doug's now going to play drums because he's played drums for, for ages. He just didn't want to play drums for some reason and now he is the drummer. <laughs> and he's a brilliant drummer. Um, and, you know, like, I'm going to learn guitar and, and all this. I was like, and so you play bass, don't you? I was like, oh, yeah, I play bass. Don't worry about it. So at this point, he's saying, so we're going to have an, a, a rehearsal and, and we need to come up with a load of songs. Um, and we're going to do like a load of songs that are basically based on crime. Like, you know, so we'll, we've already got two and it's like, well, what's the, you know, watching the detectives and uh, I fought the law. It's like, great. Okay. We need a set though. Don't we? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get more. So at this point, I still didn't know the bass guitar. And uh, he said, right. So we're going to have a, a rehearsal. I said, well, look, let's have it. My dad does a lot of uh, music shows and stuff like that. And he has a rehearsal room. So we can all meet here and we can all rehearse here. So, in June, the gig was booked. The first gig was booked in August. Our first rehearsal was in June. So in June, I'd never met Val before. Um, I knew Doug quite well from playing football. Uh, I knew Mark just because we'd become very friendly. Um, Stuart I knew quite well um, just from festivals, but not more than that. I didn't know Chris really at all. Um, and we all got together. I bought a bass like a month before and learned the, tried to learn it very quickly. And I learned the songs basically, but not really how to play them properly. <laughs> but it was quite easy to pick up. Uh, and we had a re first rehearsal, and I thought, just before we played the first song, I was like, this could go one or two ways. This could go really, really badly, and we'll have to cancel the gig and never speak of this again. Or it could go really, really well, and this could turn into something. And thankfully, it was the latter. Um, we played. It helps that both Stuart and Doug and myself had all played in bands for years and years and years. We had a really good ba base of that. Like, we, we know what we're doing. Um, so that kind of is like the nucleus of the band is the drummer, the bass, and the, and the guitarist was set. We knew what we were doing. I picked up the bass very, very quickly. Um, you know, it was, and that, that, so we played like I thought, right? Well, this is great. We'll get one gig and it'll be great. So we played Edinburgh two months after our first rehearsal and it went down a storm. And then I think it was like just one of those things where it's like 
people weren't expecting us to be that good. And we turned out to be not as shit as you think we would be. <laughs> and people were like, oh, so they can do it. So then all of a sudden, we were being asked to play different festivals. Different book festivals were like, this is interesting. Because not only do we get a great show at the end, of, like on a Saturday night, but we also get all of these offers for individual events as well. So we started getting asked to do different festivals to the point where we were doing 10, 12 a year before COVID. Um, but it culminated in us playing Glastonbury Festival, which is still the most amazing thing ever. I remember I remember that day. I'll remember that day to, on my deathbed. I'll be talking about that. Is that we played Glastonbury Festival. And um, we were stood there backstage, and I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. They're all really nervous. And I'm bouncing. And like, aren't you nervous? And I'm like, no, this is the best thing ever. And I was, I was walking on stage going like, yeah, we should, yeah, of course we're here. Of course we're at the glass because everything that had happened in the two years before that was ridiculous enough to, to, to that I didn't feel it was ridiculous that we were out playing glass and festival. Because we're a bunch of writers who were all basically wannabe rock stars who, who half the band had done bands before, yes. Val had sang with folk bands and stuff like that, but years and years and years ago, we were very much like, this is a laugh. This is just a laugh. We're just enjoying this. And it became something that each of us just looked forward to more than book events. It'd be like, right, we'll get the book events out of the way and then we can play. You know, it's that kind of thing. So when COVID hit, we had four or five gigs lined up. We were going to do a tour. And COVID hit in like about three weeks before the first gig. And we had to cancel all those gigs. So for 18 months, we didn't even, we only ever saw each other on Zoom, you know, and, and that was hard. Um, so bloody Scotland last year, when we finally got back together, I was worried. It'd been a long time since we played together. Um, we could have lost everything. And and the first moment in the rehearsal room, it was like, oh, it's normal, it's back to normal. And we had a great gig. Uh, and now we've got a load of stuff planned for this year. It's all coming back. Um, we're incredibly lucky. Um, but it is just, I think what makes the band so much fun for an audience is that we don't take it seriously. We are a party band. We're not writing our own music. We're not writing our own songs. That was, a, that was one of the first things that we made sure that we were all agreed about. We are not going to start writing our own songs because that's where it'll all fall apart. Um, when we start taking it too seriously and think that we're going to have, like, you know, we start doing album cover shoots, that's when we know we've gone wrong. <laughs> we start, like, you know, get, you know, that's really... So it was like, no, no, we're a party band and we're there for having a good time. We want to have a good time. And if we're having a good time, the audience will have a good time as well. And it's something different. It's something that 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 hasn't really been around book festivals. And I think book festivals... Are fantastic, and some of the some of them are, are made only better by those that take chances and have, um, you know, th these kind of events on where they're just something a little bit different, you know. And it, and we'll talk about books for as long as we you know as long as you want us to, but we want you to have a good time as well because then you'll go away from the festival thinking I want to go back there because I had a great weekend or I had a great night there, and that's that's what we're about, and yeah. But long may it continue because it's one of the, my favorite things to do is to get up on stage and and have a, and and play songs that I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah. There was a point in time where the entire set list 
was made up of about 20 songs that were all released before I was born. And it was a standing joke that, like, you know, like, I'm, like, 10... I think I think the next oldest person in the band is 12 years older than me. So I'm, like, the baby. It's great, because I'm the oldest of all my brothers and sisters. I've got an older sister, but I'm the oldest lad, and everyone just deems me to be the oldest somehow. I don't know why that, how that worked out. But, um... The 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 they damn the baby so it's great to be the baby of the band and it's like but it's just a great experience it's a great kind of and it's a great everyone who's ever seen us will know we're just about having fun it's just fun we're not taking ourselves seriously whatsoever we're not coming out in costume <laughs> we don't have elaborate set pieces <laughs> it's like it's make sure that the lasers work properly and not none of that stuff yet. <laughs> We'll have a good time. That's what that's what it's about. Yeah, uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I saw you at Bloody Scotland, um, and it was the best night. Absolutely, hundred percent. I was buzzing when I walked back to my guest room, and then I quite liked the next night when you sort of done a pared down more. Oh, yeah. That was really nice as well. And God, they ripped the piss out of you as well for being the youngest, and it's hilarious. Because <laughs> there was a. It was a thing there's been a running joke that like you know about the fact that i'm the youngest and like i just want to do you know what i deem to be you know young people music which it's turned out to be britney yeah <laughs> where that comes from is very interesting is that i i i used to do the hit me baby one more time when i used to do the pub circuit because i heard travis do it years and years and years ago and I remember I, I didn't want to do anything like that again. Though when I became a writer, I didn't want to do anything like that. And we were doing Bloody Scotland, and the Curly Coo had that thing on a Saturday night where it was like all the authors would get up and do a turn. So they either write, you know, read a poem or sing a song or anything like that. And Craig Robertson, who kind of runs it, friend, friend, really good friend of mine, um, he knew that I had this past as a, as a, as a, like a. a singer type of thing and he was like he was always on at me to get up and do something and one one year i was like oh, I, I got up and I, doug was singing world in motion the the, the world cup 1999 1990 song and uh, he said i need someone to do the john barnes rap to the crowd and and instantly about 40 people looked at me because i'm the only scouser there even though John Barnes was, was not a scouser, <laughs> but he was from he played for Liverpool, so so like I had to get up and do the John Barnes rap. You've got to oh, do all that. As I'm stood there, we did it. It all went down. Everyone's laughing their heads off. And Craig turns to me and says, "You're going to do something then." And I had 20 seconds to think, and I, maybe less. And I thought, I don't want to do something serious and do like Damien Rice or Radiohead or whatever like I used to all that kind of crap but I had in the back of my head I was like I've got the Britney song I could do that I haven't done it in ages but I could do that because it'd be quite funny so I did this whole thing about like you know like making out like that it was an old Scottish folk ballad that Travis did and all this stuff. I started doing it and like it went down an absolute storm like you know like you know doing the high bits and all that kind of thing so when we were doing following crime writers, that didn't exist. That Brit- me doing Britney, the the gigs didn't exist for like the first like year. Uh, I was doing gigs. It was just became like a, a there was a joke Jordan doing blockbuster. Um, Mark did, and it was like it'd be funny if I if I shouted out like I want to do 
Britney Spears and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, I'll be there funny. And I was, what if I came on at the end and actually did Britney Spears? And they were like, that'll be funny. So I started doing it. And they would stop me and all that type of thing. But it, it's when you think about it, Hit Me Baby One More Time came out 22 years ago. So it's not exactly <laughs> current. <laughs> so as much as I'm the baby of the band, my musicals, they still go back 20 odd years. <laughs> Not like I'm getting up and doing the weekend, you know. It's like <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, start doing Sia or Kesha or something. I don't know. And Marie, I don't think it's. I don't think it would go down as well as as, as the Britney on though. No, there is something about Britney anyway, isn't it? It is just funny before you even. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's hilarious. That's the point where, like, I made a joke of like on stage. I'm starting like I want to do two hours of Britney. Someone <laughs> came to me afterwards and 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 was like, "You should do that." Should do like a two-hour Britney tribute show where it's just you just singing Britney songs. I was like, "Listen, I, I, this is too far, too far." <laughs> <laughs> the joke lasts for three minutes, and then that's it. Two hours of me getting up, it would get very, very like, "What is he doing?" <laughs> Lucas, Lucas lost it. It's <laughs> funny all got to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny when I asked Mark if he wanted to come back for an interview. He's like, oh, yeah, I can't do it that week. So we're just touring Canada. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah, it's all kind of a we, we, we had a, a gig lined up um, in April 2020 at the Queen's Hall in Glasgow. It was a huge thing. We'd sold 700 tickets or something like that. And then it got cancelled like a couple of weeks before. So when we like did Bully Scotland and things started, getting a bit better we we're like great we can start planning ahead we can do these things again and then obviously we had like another situation in the winter where it's like oh god it's gonna you know it's gonna hold us back but thankfully next month we in april with queen's hall and glasgow again is and we've sold i think about the same amount of tickets for that and um yeah we're doing all the pool and and yeah canada is on the schedule and a few other bits in here and there and you know it's gonna it, just keeps going and going and it's like it's great i was worried during all the lockdowns and everything like that that you know that it may not the appetite may have gone for it or like people go oh yeah we've seen that now though we want something different but thankfully we've 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 kept that kind of core audience of like who would still want to see us and have a good time yeah despite living way down in bedfordshire i would if i could afford to come to glasgow and see her because it's just fun <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Um, that's a good question. I think I think it would be Stephen King, because it would have to be someone I don't get to spend days with anyway. I really enjoy the company of like the friends that I have in in, in crime fiction. It's one of the greatest things that I've that I think I've I've gained through all this is like. Aside from like, you know, readers and things like that, it, which is the main thing. Um, but the friendships that I've I've created over the years with other writers and, and, and things is amazing. Um but I get to see them all the time, so it's not them. There would be someone I don't get to see, it'd be Stephen King, who I would just sit there and just say, 
please, can you just talk? And I might absorb some kind of magic, you know, it's like, you know, just some... <laughs> yeah, anything, please, just anything. <laughs> I don't know if I would ask Stephen about the, 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 write, the writing process that he has or anything like I think it would just be like, you know, tell me tell me your, your life story. Just tell me how you felt during this. Tell me what you were going through in your life when you wrote this book or, you know, and tell me about, like, you know, like that kind of thing would be... I think more interested in like you know like so when you're moving from you know your second act into your third act would you, you know what kind of process do you use i'm not interested in that i just want to know about him how he was feeling because i know when i'm writing certain books you know like i can say like i'm pointing to certain things in my books where i you know like someone will say like the bit where this happens in in, in the six or this bit happens and you never said goodbye or this I know what was in my head when I was when I was going through that and writing that bit. Um, I know what I was feeling, um, and and I would be interested to find out what someone like a Stephen King, who's been doing it for fifty years, was feeling during you know certain books. Yeah, because he's had quite a life anyway, hasn't he? He's a drug addict and his accident and stuff. Yeah, he's he's an incredibly he's he's an incredibly interesting man. I think. Um, to have a career that lasts this long and still be reinventing himself now. I mean, he just did a series of crime novels. You know, it's like he could just quite happily just go like, right, what's the most supernatural thing I can think of today? He's not doing that. He's still trying to do certain different things. And, and like, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, there's, there, but there's a number of authors over the, that, like, that I, wouldn't, I would love to just spend a little bit of time with. I never got to meet Mo Hader. Which is, is really upsets me that like that I will never get the chance to either. Mo Hader's, I'm a, I was a huge fan, massive, massive fan. Um, she's she was an incredible writer. Um, one of the most like, I don't, I can't say underrated because she was really rated as a as a writer, but I don't think she was as well known as she deserved to be in comparison to other books. Um. She was she was unbelievable. What an incredible talent! What what she did with with crime novels was was ridiculously just just ridiculously good. And I always wanted to meet her. And and sadly, I came onto the scene when she basically stopped doing events, um, and stopped doing everything, um, in public. Um, and so I never got to meet her. Um, and now I won't. Which is uh, so when when that news broke out, I, I was incredibly sad about it because you kind of you, you, you do have these kind of like authors that you look up to and and like you know still even now it's like i'm i'm friends with some of the biggest selling writers in, in british crime so i still look up to them in certain ways but then there are others where it's like they're even on a, on a you know like put them on a pedestal and like she was definitely one of those where it's like I'd love to have met her and spent some time with her. So it would be Stephen King or Mo Hader. If you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? Forwards. Uh, I just want to find out uh, just stupid things. I want to. I want to find out like what happens. At the, I'm. I'm always eager to find out what happens. Like, so. So, just. Just in general, of just like you know, like where am, what, what are my kids gonna do in their later life? You know how 
how are they how are they you know like if they have kids are they you know what they're doing and everything like that i'd like to go so i'd like to move forward in time like 100 years and just see what, what's happening with them but then just to find out what's happening in the world the world is in such a constant state of flux at the moment it's like you don't know where this ends since 2015 it feels like we're all living in a dream it's like you know like everything that we didn't expect to happen has happened you know everything that was like not supposed to happen according to experts happened um and like so it's like that's that i want to know what the the end point of that is i want to know what happens if climate change does make us all have to live like we're in kevin costner and Waterworld, or if it's you know you know it, it all gets sorted out if like you know just different thing I'm, I'm always wanting to know things that are so i'm not interested in the past so much in that sense <laughs> but but I, i've always said like i'd like to know if i could go back if I could go back and, and, and just hop around, because there's so many mysteries in life or conspiracy theories in the past, where it's like, I'd just like to know if it was Lee Harvey Oswald who killed JFK. I'd just like to know, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, it's like, what, what was going on there? You know, like that kind of thing. You know, what was really this, the story there? You know, it, it, just things like that. Um, but what happened to, you know, like just, you know, like just mysteries in life that we'll never know the answer to. Um, you know, did we? You know, like we. I know we went to the moon, but just how did that happen? You know, like you know, <laughs> just like like you know, what would he think? What was it like in that capsule when they landed on the moon? It was like Neil Armstrong just like when the when the the mic wasn't on, turning to like Buzz Aldrin and going like, I don't want to do it. You do it. <laughs> they were like I just imagined they were like shitting themselves of like you know like or like Neil Armstrong just sitting there going like. You know, just don't don't screw it up. Don't say something stupid when you say because you're the first person who's going to do this. And in your words, can you imagine the pressure? But I'd be like the person sitting there going, like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> 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 but it's like, yeah, so it's just stuff like that. But now I'm much more interested in what's to come than what's been before. I'm much more interested in what's to come. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to just jump forward and just see how everyone's doing. Is everyone okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm too scared to know the answer to that question. I'd definitely go back. <laughs> <laughs> the future scares me. Uh, I'm quite. I mean, I quite. I quite like the idea though of 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 just just checking in on like a hundred years because life would be so much different. Because you think about like what life was like a hundred years ago now, 1922, 20. It, it, it's, it's very different than 2022, <laughs> you know, it's like, the advan- I want to know, the biggest thing for me is I want to know what the natural endpoint of social media is, because this, this is only a new thing, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, Snapchat, all of these things didn't exist 10, 15 years ago, I remember MySpace was like the, the big thing to 15 years ago. Facebook, I didn't join until what, 2009? This is all in our lifetime, you know, like of a very short period of time that we've had all these Twitter 10 years ago. What's the natural endpoint of these things? Because MySpace was the huge, it was a huge thing, and no one thought that was going to disappear. AOL chat rooms were the next big thing in the 90s, and that disappeared. At some point, I think that these these companies do do disappear. It's what replaces them. That's what's the worrying thing. Um, so like I want to know, but I want to know like the, how it is because it has affected discourse in life to such an extent that it, that 
what replaces it is what is interesting to me. You know, it's like what replaces like the anonymity of 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 trolling. You know, like you know, if if you suddenly got to show your passport before you have a Twitter account, you know, like what what does how does that change things? Things like that interest me. Of like, you know, what's the next point of of time? Is it are we going to get to where it's like a you know some of those books that we read where it's you know like with a surveillance state and and like everyone knows everything and everything like that or do they just wither and die and we have a different type of discourse i don't know that's the yeah. kind of thing that that's the kind of thing i think about at three o'clock in the morning when i try and go to sleep <laughs> um who was your first celebrity crush my first celebrity crush li- 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 literary crush celebrity crush celebrity crush um, I should probably know this. Because it was me. Um, I think it was Louise Nerding, as she was then. She became Louise Redknapp. I think she still goes by Louise Redknapp, by the way. I think she still goes by Louise Redknapp. Yeah. I think that was like, what, 98, 97, 98? I think it was her or Mel C from Spice Girls. <laughs> I thought Mel C was was at least local enough for it to be to to to, to, to I might have a chance. <laughs> I did not have a chance. <laughs> but yeah, they were probably Louise Nerding, I remember I was quite hung up on Louise Nerding. Um I remember I, mean, I was I, I remember she was supposed to do a signing in Liverpool um at like the HMV there or something like that. And my dad took me over like 13, 14 at this time. I mean, that's like, right, we'll go over. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to meet Louise and she'll meet me and all that type of thing. And it turned out we had the wrong day completely and, and I never got to see her. She'd been the week before. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would be her. I think that would be who it was. I don't have many celebrity crushes though. I don't really. I'm very weird in that sense. I don't like, I don't have, like, I didn't, I didn't, growing up, I didn't really have many crushes or anything like that. I was too busy. Um, like talking to girls who are real. <laughs> Way to do it, to be fair. <laughs> um, what superhero power would you have? Uh, invisibility all day long. Invisibility. I want to. I'm sweet. I, I, I want to hear what people say when I'm not around. Um, not even just about me. Just people being themselves without. Like, you know, what I feel. I've always had that kind of, like, Truman Show type of mentality of, like, everyone's just putting on a performance for me. They're not really who they, they are. Um, so, like, I, I always have this thing in the back of my head. It's like, oh, they're probably very different to home. And that's what I want to find out. What is, you know, like, when Mark Billingham is sitting in his living room in his pants, what's he, what's he, what's he really like? You know, what's he saying to, 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 to his wife and his kids and all that? How, how is he really talking? Does he go, is he go, you know, like, I, Jacob Rees-Mogg is the big one for me. Does he go home, take the top hat off, put the monocle away and go like, you know, like, right kids, you all right there, lads, you all right. <laughs> I just imagine, you know, like these people who are like, you, you know, like, is Boris Johnson completely competent in, in, in his actual personal, you know, that can, you know, like that kind of thing where it's like the, 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 when the public mask slips, 
that's the kind of thing I'd want to. So it's not just about like what the people say about me when I'm not around. It's not really about that. I want to know what they really like when no one's watching, um, which is probably going to get me on some kind of list. <laughs> no. Is it weird that I think Mark is probably exactly the same? Like yeah. I literally can't see him being any different ever. <laughs> I've, never, I've never met anyone. I've been incredibly close friends with Mark for a number of years now. I've never met anyone who's so com- completely comfortable in his own skin of who he is and 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 and, and happy. Um, and so he should be because he's an incredible guy. And like you know, he's he's, he's one of my very closest friends. Um, and he is just a really nice guy. Um, and yeah, he is one of the most. Um, he's just incredibly comfortable with who he is. He's done so much in his life. Um, and we come from a similar background, Mark and I. We, you know, like he came from a, a, a you know, like a, a, a very working class background and, and got on TV, got got into books, became a bestseller. You know, he's he's had books of his turn into TV series. He's had, you know, he's had incredible success. But, you know, he'll still ring me to talk about, like, you know, just stupid shit. Like, you know, it's just like, I remember, I remember getting really annoyed because he was over in, in America when the Beatles documentary came out, you know, the Get Back documentary. And he's ringing me going, like, have you watched it then? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I can't believe you watched it. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know it's like, um, yeah, he is just someone who's incredible. Yeah, so that probably doesn't change and at all. You know, like, he doesn't change at all. And But it is, like, that idea of, like, well, what if he does? What if a homie's just, like, this really narky bastard who's just, like, sitting there, like, fuck everyone? Oh, <laughs> 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 use <of> the language. <laughs> Um, so a while ago, we mentioned that you had a new book out. Do you have it to hand that you can show off? Yes, it's here. You never said goodbye. Look at look at the nice things that people say about it. Enthralling and emotional. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's it's the first time I've been in hardback actually. Book eight is the first time I've been in hardback. Um, and there is something about a hardback that makes you feel like it's when you get this. Where is it? So when you get the little little flap at the back, there's a little picture of you. <laughs> That's when you know you've made it. <laughs> that taken in Scotland? Uh, no, that was taken in a <laughs> in an alleyway <laughs> near Penny Lane, Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, I, I get all the good places, me. <laughs> Um, so you have that out now. Are you working on anything at the moment and what's coming next for you? Yeah, so the next book um, I'm working on at the moment, I can't say too much about it because um, I don't know what would be a spoiler or not, you see, at this point. That's a that's an issue with writing a book. Uh, there's no title or anything for it. It's like, you know, it's one of those very early, pro, uh, very early on in the process, but that'll be out next year. So I've got plenty of time in my head to get all that boxed off. Um, but yeah, it'll be another book set in the US with a, a, an English protagonist um, something that I'm like kind of doing at the moment is you know going for that bigger landscape type of book um, very Linwood Barkley very Harlan Coben type of book I'm enjoying writing this kind of book a lot and what festivals can we expect to see you at this year all of them <laughs> 
I'll be uh, yeah, I'll be at all, all of them. I think uh, Harrogate's in July. Um, Ullapool is in May. Um, I think Butte Noir comes back this year. I'll be there. Bloody Scotland, I'll be there. Um, I think the, the, anything that I can do, I will be doing because I'd spend two years doing nothing uh, but Zooms, which is great. One of the biggest things that I did during lockdown was the Locked Up Festival. I did that twice. Where we raised uh, 25 grand for, for the Trussell Trust. And we did three days of events um, twice. Um, and hearing from people who don't usually get to book festivals and, and got to be part of one was the greatest feeling ever. As, as, as I've ever uh, you know, it's just brilliant of like people who are like, look, I'm unable to go to festivals either due to cost or. Uh, access, you know, and the, you know, people who were disabled and things like that, and they were able to become part of a community because people were talking in the comments every effort, every event, um, and that was brilliant. That was excellent, excellent. But for me, it was like, that's great. I'd like to do that and in person ones as well. I'd like to see people again. Uh, I spent two years not seeing anyone to the point where I was like, do people even exist anymore? You know, <laughs> they could just be figments of my imagination. These could all be computer programs on my screen on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I dread to think where a writer's mind would take that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'll be doing as many as possible. I've already booked to do quite a few this year. I'm sure more will be coming down the pipe because as things start coming back to a new kind of normal, I think we'll, we'll see lots and lots of events coming back. Fabulous. I'm going to as many as I can as well, which isn't that many. But it's still plenty because they're really expensive. <laughs> Especially because I, I live way down south and all of the festivals are just miles away. All of them. I remember doing Harrogate. The first time I did Harrogate, the Eastlands Festival, I, I went as an unpublished writer. I didn't know anyone or anything like that. And I spent 500 quid for three days in a, on a hotel and tickets. I got a ticket to every single panel. I, I, I spent way over the book. It was money I just did not have, but I, you know, like I used like a student loan to do it, and I, and I, and I went, and it was like that. That's great. I could not be happier that now I don't have to pay that, because it is prohibitive to a lot of people. So it, it and but there are a lot of festivals who do say that bloody Scotland do reduce ticket prices and things like that, and there are ways where you don't have to stay in the festival hotel. You know that type of thing. <laughs> um, and yeah, so like, yeah, but it's always great to see, uh, to, to go to these festivals and spend three days with, with a whole load of people who are all into the same thing as you. They're all there for the same reason as you. Yeah. They all love books um, and they love, love talking about books and talking to the people who write the books and the people who publish the books and the people who edit the books and, and do the book covers and, you know, all that kind of, everything. It's just, it's such a glorious celebration of, of, of the industry that like I'm, so lucky to be a part of yeah it was funny when i went last year to harrogate because the first time i'd ever been and i knew one person um but because i do these um she was like and other people were like oh you'll know everybody because you do these and i didn't i just didn't <laughs> we said we're gonna get a book with faces and names so that we can place people but just hope that the photos aren't out of date because you lot yeah. just yeah so yeah i just no one looks oh, the same in their, their, their social media pictures as they do in real life. <laughs> and you have bloody pseudonyms and stuff. And oh my God, honestly, it's so confusing. <laughs> mean is what it is. <laughs> I still try to nail Simon Koenig down, not literally, 
um, for an interview as well. He promised me at Harrogate last year and it's what nearly the end of February. Uh, I shall be having severe words with him. You should do. I will. I told him off at Harrogate, so even though I was like, <laughs> <"Hello."> <laughs> he's so tall. Yeah, he was laughing so I was telling Chris Whitaker off and I was like, well, actually. And then he was, he was like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. It was great. <laughs> well, I don't have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you about that you want to tell us. No, uh, just that the, the book is out now, available in good bookshops on Amazon and ebook, um, and the paperback comes out in July. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very proud of this book. Um, it's a very personal book. Um, it's it's very emotional, but it's page-turning as well. Um so yeah, if you haven't read me before, start with that one because it's the best one. Because the newest one is always the best one. <laughs> awesome. Well, I shall bring you, bring in a copy to have you sign at Harrogate anyway, and I should look forward to meeting. Thanks very um, much. And if anyone wants to find out about you, where can they do so? I'm on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Luca Vesti, um, or on Facebook on Luca Vesti on there. Um, my website is under construction. But that's lucavesti.co.uk. <laughs> Under construction at this point means Luca hasn't got around to doing it yet. <laughs> you know, it's fine. We're, we're aware of your little quirks. It's all good. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.